Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. And welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather, and today I am joined by a wonderful man named Jeremy Indica from the UK. Welcome, Jeremy. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, I follow you on Instagram. I watch a lot of your YouTube videos and the content that you're putting out there, and you're working so hard to break the silence around child sexual abuse. Um, I'm so I'm just grateful to have you here. Yeah, that's good. And it, you know what? It's so nice when I get connected with people who are following and are like watching the content that I'm putting out there or the posts that I'm putting out there because it does sometimes feel, you know, sometimes there's lots of confidence around what I'm doing and sometimes I'm questioning whether what I'm doing is resonating or landing properly or is going to go anywhere ever. And so I'm always, you know, fluctuating between those two minds. So to get connected with you and know that you're following and you're interested by my work, it's always just such a great thing and um, really helps my confidence levels, I suppose. Absolutely. And you saying that, I honestly feel the same thing sometimes too. Some days I wake up and I'm like, I'm killing it. Everything's fine. Um, I'm doing such a good job. I've got like, (laughs) you know, I've got posts that are like in drafts, I'm ready to go. And then other days I wake up and I'm like, what have I done? (laughs) Yeah. I'm the same. And I, I have a feeling that that is all part and parcel of this this um this path that we're walking down this 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 thing that we're trying to trying to build anything trying to build anything out of nothing i think it's very different if you're building a business let's say like a carpentry business for example you know you get your first client you get a bit of money you get the next client they recommend you to other people it is similar to that but for, for this it's like you're just trying to build something out of out of nothing it's like there isn't a job there in the first place yeah I completely yeah. agree with you. It's mm. some mornings you are just like, oh my God, like you say, oh my goodness, I am killing it. I've got great <laughs> posts coming up. And then some mornings you're like, oh, I should stick to my day job possibly. <laughs> possibly. Do we want to go back there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you've become an advocate because you are a survivor yourself. Um, do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about your story and, and, and what that looked like for you growing up as a child? Yeah. Yeah, so my story in summary is uh, the sexual abuse that I went through went on when I was eight years old for a number of years, two years, and it was by a trusted person within the family circle. Uh, He was looking after us, helping out with childcare while my parents were at work. Um, And when the abuse finished, Um, I carried on as the young, energetic, social boy that I was. Uh, You would have never have known this had happened to me. And I say that this you you would never have known is because I've now checked. So I've gone back to all the people that were engaging with me at that age, um, all the parents of friends who I still know today. And I'm like, now you know what happened. When you look back in hindsight, 
could you see anything that would have flagged this up to you? And everyone is like, not a, not a chance, yeah. not a chance. I think we are often thinking that this happening to anybody means that that child is going to turn into a secluded child at school, is going to be shy, is going to be angry. It's, I don't believe that's always the case. No, um, I think we all go through unique experiences. And I was, um, I was speaking to a survivor this morning and she had gone through a very different type of reaction. She like dove deep into her schoolwork because that was something that she had wow. control over. Um, mm. You know, there was so much in her life that she didn't, but this she did. Um, and, mm. you know, she also subsequently developed an eating disorder because that was only another thing that she could control. But that's exactly yeah. right. It's It fits into this perception and these perceptions that we do have regarding, you know, children and sexual abuse. They're not going to be the, you know, in quotation marks, perfect victim. And we don't always know, you know, it's up to us to see different red flags, maybe from different areas. And there are other times where we just won't see them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that perfect victim is such a great phrase. I've never heard that before. And, and uh, this, this, this situation is affecting people in a million different ways. Um, so that's one of the things I try to talk about on my social media platforms about trying to explain that this isn't one size fits all. Absolutely. It's so interesting what you just said about the, the other uh, child sexual abuse survivor and that she got into her schoolwork because I grew into my twenties, um, I got into an engineering career and I I became very obsessive with that as well. Possibly we could say that it's a control thing, that it's something I could, I could run and get really good at, but also I try my best to think about what good came out of uh, that, that abuse, what reactions were actually um, positive or, or um, useful out of that child sexual abuse. Um, because when it finished when I was 10, I was very much um, kind of a doing very well at school, doing very well at sport. Um, I had great friends. I was very, very social, very confident in the classroom. And that's just continued through my life. And I, I always think, yes, we can say that many, many terrible things happened psychologically as a response to the abuse. No doubt they did, right? Because anybody... Any human being that is going to go through something sexual before they want to go through something sexual and when it's forced upon them or they're manipulated into doing that way before their normal human body would have got interested in those things, I think is programming your brain in a a crazy way and it, it causes a lot of negative effects. But there has, with every bad comes some good. Maybe this is what I'm thinking about at the moment. So was there some, is there some good that happened in response? Is there something like I learned very early that adults aren't to be fully trusted. So it made me wary about my surroundings from early age. Right. And that's a valuable lesson as a youngster because not every adult is nice. Not every adult is nice at school. Not every adult is nice in your first job, not every adult is nice in your career, right? So possibly that's a good thing. Also, did it give me a fire in my belly, feeling like subconsciously, maybe like at 12, 13, subconsciously, I was like, I managed to get through something so horrendous. Now I can take anything on. Yeah. Like, it's possible that happened. It's possible. Absolutely. you know, so the abuse finished at 10. I was doing well at school, yeah. great friends, doing well at school. And when well you say the abuse finished at 10, what yeah. what precipitated that? Like, is that he, he was no longer, sorry, I, I'm just assuming it, it was a male that was offending against yes. you. Yeah. And, yes. and he was just removed or did you maybe age out of his preference or what was? Um, I, I, he, a childcare was no longer needed. Okay, right. So then he just wasn't around anymore. Yeah. And, I, and I don't remember ever thinking about, oh, he's gone, where is he? Um, but I probably did. Yeah. You know, I just can't remember it. Yeah, he was a big part of my life. Absolutely. And, yeah, so your family around you had no idea that this was happening. Did you have siblings and stuff there as well? 
So yes, I did. And we have talked about it now since I started speaking about it. And thankfully, none of them have been the same thing didn't happen. Okay, that's um, really So good. it was only me. Maybe I was a opportunity for him to satisfy this thing that he's got in his head. Um, it's quite possibly that I was willing. It's, po- it's quite possible. When I say willing, I shouldn't say it like that. It's quite possible that I, he saw me and could see that he could manipulate me in this way. Yeah, more vulnerable to the grooming that he would have yeah. to do to keep you silent for the absolutely. things. Yeah, absolutely. And the grooming process is so incredible and mind-blowing for us to think about. I mean, how did we get to the stage where we were kissing with tongues, where we were fully naked, where we were doing everything but penetration? Like, how did we even get to that stage? Now, how did we get to that stage with me um, doing it as if it was something I I wanted to do? It's interesting. And I think, um, you know, offenders and, you know, I'm glad that he he didn't offend against anybody else in those situations. It doesn't mean that he hasn't in others, but it is... You know, groomers and people who do these things have often thought about these things for a very long time. So they know the tactics and they've probably developed these tactics over time, especially to to become somebody that would be trusted by your family to look after the children is probably a part of the whole grooming thing for him. And, you know, that just goes to show the susceptibility and malleability of children's minds that, and the importance of making sure that they are safe because we can you know, you can program children in certain ways and it's really important that that's, you know, grooming is one of those hugely powerful tactics. Um, and for some survivors, they are the things that make them feel guilty because they were maybe giving the per- the other person the wrong idea or because of, mm-hmm. you know, and dealing with the conflicting nature of those feelings is quite um, difficult. I think one of the big struggles that, many survivors are having is knowing that they got tricked. They got manipulated. They thought that what they were doing was okay. They, something in their, in their brain knew that they, that there was something odd about it, but they didn't have the maturity to act on it at the time. And they kind of got fooled in some ways. And that's not a nice feeling especially when you look at your younger self and you know how innocent you were and to know that somebody has managed to come in, rip you apart metaphorically and, and you went along with it. You know, I think that's very tough to get your head around as a, as a survivor. Um, But yeah, the grooming process, the first stage is to get everybody around that child accepting you as a person in the house or in the sports club or at the swimming club, wherever, wherever this is going on. That's your first step. Because once you've done that, the child is probably the easier stage. I mean, it's so easy to, to, to manipulate a child, especially when we're talking about under 10. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this is where their mind's malleable and it's, um, it's crazy to think like, you know, I was listening to a podcast even today about um, allegations of, you know, in the family violence sector of child custody cases, for example, where they're trying to say that children can be coached. Now, coaching a child of what to say is very different to manipulating a child not to say something. And I think that was the Mm. distinction that I, I liked that was made, you know, coaching and grooming a child into not saying something. So if you say this, you'll get in trouble. And then if you do this or, you know, giving infrequent rewards and and all of these manipulation tactics, these are tactics that go back into the war days of how people manipulate prisoners of war as well. This correlates with coercive control. It is a powerful mind technique to take over somebody's thought process. So I don't think it's too hard to get to a point where you do that, but you're Mm. right. Once you've got the trust of the family, then innately, you know, if your parents trust this person, then innately you do because you trust them. Yes. Because the child is watching the parents and knowing that that adult is okay because that, because them, because the adults around them are being okay with that adult. So the child is like gets a thumbs up that that's a safe adult and the the offender 
the perpetrator has already identified which child is a possibility for them. So once the parents are done, then the child's the easy thing. And I just think the grooming process, there's a million different ways to do something like that, you know, through story, through gifts, through praise. I mean, when you are around children of let's say really young let's go five six seven eight how many times do they go um oh look at me do this watch me do this look at me because all they're after is a bit of praise right and once you praise them they'll keep doing what you want and you've kind of it's almost like you've got them as putty in your hands i mean how many times when you go to the park is it like um mom watch me watch me dad watch me watch me like they're just glued to an adult so this group, people are, I often think people think that uh, being able to groom a child or a child getting groomed is like, so one in a million, or how could that ever happen? Or I think we need more examples to show that actually it's quite easy. Absolutely. Um, I think I really agree with that sentiment as well, because it's not, there's no masterclass in becoming a child sex groomer, obviously dark web and different things like that. But there's no masterclass yet. They all seem to follow very similar patterns and the pattern is to control. And I always think about it like a wheel, you know, like you try this one that didn't work. You try this one that didn't work. And you're going through the spokes in the wheel to try and get control over this person. And whatever works is going to be the thing that gives you the momentum. Um, But you're exactly right. Those kids, and there are so many things on TikTok and things like that nowadays where parents are, it's literally like a kid just screaming, going, mom, watch, I did a jump. And the mother's just yeah. like, oh, my God, one more time. <laughs> yeah. like, I can't do this. Yeah. But it's true. Um, and Jim Clementi who is somebody that I talk about a lot on this podcast. Um, he's a survivor of child sexual assault um, by a former priest at his school. Um, he then be- went on to become an FBI agent and he's a specialist in child sexual victimization now. Um, and I love listening to the, th- the way that he profiles um, the way that he talks about offenders as well. And I think it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, and he always says as well that if any if any adult wants to spend more time with your child than you do, that's a red flag. And that's a really important thing to pick up on because with what you just said, all of the adults, for example, at a party or a barbecue are sick of the kids screaming at them and they're kind of indifferent to it. But if you're in that environment and there is one person that's paying extra close attention and consistently close attention that's a red flag because most adults get very annoyed and sick of interacting with children after a period of time. Yeah. But when you said that to me, the problem that I see straight away with trying to make up any, trying to get any rules together on spotting these things from happening. And it's very difficult task but necessary, no doubt about it. Something like if anybody, like what you mentioned, if anybody wants to spend more time with your child than you do, be aware. Mm. It's a great point, actually. I haven't heard that before. But then it's like, well, grandparents probably want to spend a lot of time with your child. So there's always grey areas. An uncle or an auntie probably do. There's always grey areas with these rules. And that's why I, I try my best to promote actually... I believe the best line of defence is with preparing your child to tell you if anything's going on. I feel like that's your best line of defence because with the other rules that we're trying to create, which are necessary and we should be aware of, you could miss some or you could misjudge some, right? But the child is never going to misjudge if uh, the adult has asked them to do something fully inappropriate, like touch them underneath their underwear you know um child isn't going to misjudge that so instead of having children running around naive to this danger right which nearly all of them are in, in in today's society because we are not talking about it enough let's educate them and give them tools like why wouldn't we equip them you know why wouldn't we equip them with the tools and there is this talk about ruining their innocence and but um, unfortunately we live in a world where they need this education yeah absolutely and i think um i very much share that sentiment like to the core of my soul um and i think that you can start to have sexual education discussions with your children at from the age of three and you don't have to sexualize sex 
you can inform them about things like consent. You can inform them about things like areas of their bodies that are their own um, and things like that. And it doesn't have to be specifically around sexual penetration and pleasure. Um, But these are things that if we don't talk about them with our children, where are they going to find the information and how much more susceptible are they to danger? Because now, you know, think about the internet access that they have. Think about the game access that they have, you know, a child hearing a word like, um, I remember when I was 14, I heard the word frigid and I didn't know what that meant. So I Googled that and that was what informed me of what that meant. And the fact that I wasn't on a chat room is lucky because I wasn't asking somebody. But yeah, wow. if I was to ask my parents what that meant, I don't know whether they would have told me. I think that they would have wow. felt very uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. This is that what you just said is great because um, I'm just writing a post at the moment about children coming across things online that are inappropriate for their age. And the statistic that I heard last week was uh, a child is coming across something inappropriate uh, on average. The average age is 11 years old. So they either search it themselves because they've heard something in the playground or they come across it by accident. And this is a great example. You've heard the word frigid at 14 and you've gone home and you've searched it. Now, if it was the word blowjob, let's say, right, then you you go home and search that. The thing, Let's say a 12-year-old has heard that in a playground. They go home and search that. The first things on that Google search are porn sites. Yes. Right? So now all of a sudden they're clicking on a porn site and they don't know anything because they've never been talked about any taught teach taught about anything and now they're going in there blind and now that's teaching them yeah so i don't think there's any argument about um a valid argument about not introducing this to children like you say from the age of three just about the areas on the body that are that are yours that nobody else should touch, you know, maybe yes. mummy or daddy, if you're feeling very sick or if you're sore or a doctor in a certain circumstance, yeah. but you know, these are the things that we should be teaching them. And I will say the book that I read recently that changed my life. I think it's amazing. Okay. It's called the well-armored child by Joel Castiex. And it is about how parents. So I do recommend that to any parents that have young children about having these conversations and, you know, it's in the title, the well-armored child, it's giving them the tools so that they can tell you if something has happened because you can't prevent it from ever happening. Yes. But secondary to what you just said, and this is such a thing that I've recently looked into as well, um, is it's, I think it's well over 85% of porn that is on um, like Pornhub or YouPorn or whatever the, the main sites are, are, doing acts of non-consensual type sex. So the, yes. the, the choking, the gagging, the very rough and, and um, acts where people don't look like it is a pleasurable experience. And if that is your only introduction into sex, that is what you think that sex should look like. That's what you think is normal, you know? And yeah, if wow. you've watched that before you've watched the very placid scene of the notebook or something, then yeah. you're not going to have a very good understanding of what you're supposed to do when you start to have sex. Yeah. If, if if you could just clip what you just said, right? There's no, I don't think any parent is arguing against what you just said. Yeah. And I and and the more I talk about porn on my um, pages, the more I'm putting it in those types of words. To because no no parent in their right mind is like, I just don't agree with that. You know, I, I think like maybe one in a thousand, possibly even less than that. It's like, you know. They've got smart devices in their pocket. They're on them constantly. So let's just chat about what they could come across. Yeah. Why are we so, you know, sometimes I think like as adults, we're so immature in this area because we're so embarrassed to talk to them about it. It's like we're the children, you know? (laughs) It is. You know what I mean? It's like uh, we've all had sex and we enjoy having sex and it's like one of our primitive uh, uh, urges. And it's the reason why we're all here, because our parents did it. And um, it's something we think about a lot and all of those things. So why wouldn't we just introduce it to the child? 
uh, introduce it to the child before they see it somewhere else. Yeah, and I think those safe conversations, you know, and then when they do get older, talking about protection, you know, things that I just learned on TikTok like yesterday off this amazing woman, I'll have to find her um, tag and tag her, about the types of lube that don't go well with types of condoms. I was like... this is a good thing to know because it breaks down the condom. That's that's important things to know. That, that's something yeah. a parent should be teaching their child. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's tools that is necessary. That is so, you know, even a discussion about condoms, you know. I mean, what's going on now? It's 2021, right? It's not 1940s. Parents are still leaving condoms on the bedside table of their 16-year-old on their 16th birthday and then slyly getting out of the room, you know? Like, that. come on, come on, we're better than that. Yeah. You know, we're better than that. And that's that point that you made, you know, um, there's nobody disputing that these things could be problems, yet I think that they want the teachers maybe to have the conversation, but the teachers aren't educated either. And the education is only as good as the education is. And yeah. it needs to be consistent. And I think for yeah. children, it comes back to rep- repetition and consistency. They need to know these things. You know, how many times do you sit with a child and show them how to write the letter A before they know yeah. how to write the letter A? Yeah. How long yeah. is it going to take you for you to yeah. explain to them that these are their private areas? Yeah. More than once. So you've it's got to get great, bloody comfortable with it. <laughs> it's a great point. And, um, yeah, the problem with the education system is the teachers aren't probably speaking to their children about it so they'd be shy to talk to a classroom about it and also I mean to get the education system rewritten I mean it's lagging behind today's society you know and it's lagging behind further and further as time goes on it's outdated that is why I think it's just so important that we put we use the internet because the internet is at real time and if we could make clever videos or clever posts or memes right that get spread amongst those age groups you know we make something about condoms maybe we even make it with a comedy aspect or uh you know something else visually appealing and we get 13 and 14 and 15 year olds sharing it themselves because everything that's available on these types of topics are a 15 year old is like oh some old guy, mate, or, oh, they're just lecturing us or, you know, but if you make it for them, something that they'll share, that's one way to get people educated. Yeah. Because we can't hang around for the education system. It's lagging behind. Yeah. I think we're still at the stage that I was, you know, I'm 28 now and we had one sex ed class that I remember when I was in high school, when I was 16 or 17 and a lady came in with a banana and a couple of dildos and she showed how to put the, yeah. put the condom on and everyone laughed and she did it in front of the whole auditorium. It wasn't an intimate <laughs> chat where you could yeah. ask questions because who's going to ask a question when 300 people are listening? You yes. I mean? yes. And yes. you have access to it after, like it was awkward. It was awful. And it was once off. Like if you were away from school that day, You've got no idea how to put a condom on a banana. (laughs) Too bad. You're never going to learn again. (laughs) Yeah, it's so crazy. I just can't believe it. And I speak very confidently about this education situation because, and the reason why is because I believe that's what would have saved me. Mm. Because the reason why I never said anything at the time it was going on is because, of course, I'd been cleverly groomed and manipulated, but I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. Mm. like how horrific it was that it's something I must tell somebody about I knew nothing about private areas I knew nothing about secrets and and what to do if anybody asked you to keep one there was no education I was eight years old it was 1993 it's not even like I'd ever seen cleavage by that point you know nowadays an eight-year-old is pretty equipped just through music videos you know so times were different then and I just feel if I'd had some teachings over the years uh there's a chance that I would have said something a chance you know and to anybody that is like ah but you were still groomed and manipulated very cleverly I agree with that but even if it had increased the chances by one percent then it's worth it we got to take it. Yeah. As long as we can, we might not always be able to prevent the initial grooming or the initial assault, but 
to prevent the reoffense occurring, to prevent it to continue. Maybe that might be where we can stop it more. That's exactly yeah. right. Um, but I, I mean, what was it like? Do you have a memory of of remembering when you realised that this was wrong? So I am been thinking about that also for a long time. Like when actually was it? And I am going to say that it was when I started engaging in uh, sexual activity with other people, right? So, you know, when I was 13, 14, got interested in girls, girls were the world at that point, couldn't stop thinking about girls. And it was like, you know, you're at school, you're trying to like young people, right? And then I believe it's like, ah, I've been here before. Right, yeah. Yeah, this has happened before. This isn't the first time I'm doing all of these things. Yeah. And that's when it started to click. But again, it it just didn't bother me at the time. Possibly subconsciously it did, but it didn't bother me. And then throughout the years, many things came up where um, I'd get reminded about things. You know, a film, uh, film, something on the news, somebody would say something about it. so, you know, the Jim, Jimmy Savile case in, in, in the UK was huge. And yeah, um, there was a couple of other people that got shouted out. And there's some films that I watched. I remember one in particular, it's called Sleepers. It's an old film and it's about um, a boys' school where they're being abused by the wardens. And I watched that and I just could hardly take it. So it never went away, right? It never went away. It's just all of those things would send me off balance, but just for a few minutes. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Then I return back to uh, my life. Yeah. Again, in my twenties, out partying. I had a re- I, I just got onto this incredible career as a design engineer working in the aerospace industry. I got an apprenticeship, so it's like a working on the job scheme. And they were a fantastic company. I was flying through my career, going up the ladders partying hard at the weekends I had my own flat I was loving life this wasn't gonna hold me down you know yeah but it but it wasn't until I was 25 that that started to change 
It was so weird. The, the feeling was so weird. I was, it was like I felt low. I felt sad. I, had, I was w- wondering where all this was coming from. And then I was like, oh, no, maybe it's that. But we're fine. I'm 25. It's all good. We've always been all good. So I would like these memories to go away, this sadness to go away. I thought, I thought to myself, it will probably pass. Yeah. But then two years later, I'm still in the same situation. Yeah. And people can't get their head around why you would wait so long to speak out about it. It is, it is confusing to people looking in from the outside. Like, why, why did it take you, you know, 17 years to, to say something? And I suppose my answer is because I just didn't care before. Yeah. Yeah, I think each and every person is, their story is different. I mean, you know, this person was removed at 10 for you. So you're not in consistent danger from them all the time. You know, um, you don't think it's affecting you as much. This is something you can push to the side. And, you know, I think subconsciously as well, you also know that if you do bring it up, that, that things will happen. You know, if you, there will be other th- consequences to that. And this is out of sight, out of mind. Um, and that's one huge reason. Not all people want a conviction and justice. Some people, mm. most people just want to be fucking happy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a fear in your own mind because if you start accepting that that actually happened or even you tell somebody, it ju- adjusts your life so significantly because you've admitted to yourself that that's something you went through and it's always going to make you feel sad. And if you tell somebody your relationship with that person always changes because this is such an intense thing. You, every time you meet that person for coffee or go around theirs or work with them or whatever you do, whatever the relationship is, you're always going to be like, Oh, they know, you know? So it's a massive jump. It's a massive jump to accept it yourself. And so maybe when you are growing up for those who don't speak out early maybe it's just too big a change even just to even bring in your life you know and also possibly subconsciously your brain knows when you're ready to speak about it so it just keeps it at the back of your head not bothering you too much until that time comes absolutely and you know there have been so many different investigations into this and it's most child sexual abuse especially child sexual abuse from institutions um takes well over 30 years for people to come forward about and a lot of these things i think are when you hear somebody else speaking up about it it gives you maybe a platform to because maybe you then realize that it was actually bad. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of survivors about this feeling of guilt because maybe it's not as bad as it, as it was and maybe mm. you, you are to blame for it. Or, But, you know, there all of the reasons why we don't report are hundreds. There are so many different reasons why we don't. And then the final time that we do, there are so many reasons for that as well. So yes. you can never you can never create an environment where somebody's always going to come forward and you can never stop it from happening where people don't. No, but a great point that you made is I think it's just fantastic if you are having this secret with you to see people speaking about it. Yeah. Because I I never, I try my hardest to avoid ever even slightly suggesting that anybody should speak out, yeah. right? Because it's not my place and that's not good advice, right? You do You do what's good for you at this time but I think even if you're going to keep it with you for the rest of your life and never tell anyone which is a valid option right it's not a bad option we can't shut that down maybe you want to have a family or you want to pursue a career and you just don't want that to be in your life fair play to you but if you still if you're in that situation to see people speaking about it will really give you a lift I think yeah I agree. And I think, you know, yeah, it comes back to that. It doesn't, not everybody wants the same thing out of it. Um, And I say this, you know, I've got the survivor support network and things on Facebook where a lot of people haven't spoken to their friends or family about it. A lot of people don't want the people in their lives to know about it, but they, and they don't feel valid enough maybe to speak to a counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or um, to seek support from a professional service. Um, so going to people maybe like a, a less formal place 
with people who might just understand it might be the first point of contact so that you might seek some validation and just have a discussion. And, you know, I think one thing I would say is I encourage people to talk to at least one person about it Mm -hmm. so that they can voice it. Of course, that's their choice. Um, I just hate the idea of people suffering in silence. And I think we, we tend to get in our own minds and gaslight ourselves into how bad it was and tell ourselves that it wasn't good enough. It wasn't, but I think if you can find somebody that you trust, maybe that's not in your immediate circle, that's a good place to start if you are going to start with having that discussion. Yeah. And if you're still not ready for that step, one step you could do is just journal it. Mm, that's a good, that's a really good yeah. um, idea as well. So yeah. just start writing down your story. And what I say is if you're going to do that, write it in a way that when you read it back to yourself, you feel strong. Because then you'll enjoy writing it. And actually, I think you'll get a lot from it because you could set a task, you could write, it could be really painful to write it down. So you could just write two sentences and then set yourself a task of writing another two sentences next week. And then set yourself, and then every week you write two sentences and also maybe you rewrite the ones before. But do it in a way that when when you come back the next week, you're reading it and you're like, my goodness, I really went through something and I am still here today. Like, yeah. that's a great thing. Because I, I don't want everybody to be drowning in their sadness. Yeah. Actually, what happened was between what happened was between the person that did it to you and you as a and the child you. Yeah. It's like it's like that that happened over there right? You are a different person now. You've been through lots. You've been through lots of life experience now. I hope that one day we can look at that experience that you went through as a child and understand that actually it had nothing to do with you. In fact, it's not even any of your business in some ways, right? So it's unfortunate that it happened. It's horrific. Nobody's saying that it's not, but you got through it, you know? And, 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 if it give you anything, it made you aware of your surroundings today. And if you have children yourself or you have children in your family or if your friends have children, you will be more aware to protect them in a bet. You have a better eye for things if, if it gave you anything. So, yeah. you know, it's um, always good. I agree to look, look at the glass half full and, you know, you can't have that every day, but to try and look at these different things in different ways and to give yourself opportunities um, to find a way to put one foot in front of the other and to look back and see how much you've achieved and celebrating your success and things like that are, are really important things to do because, you know, you've survived every worst day of your life so far and, you yes. know, going through that again, you know, revisiting and opening up these wounds will be painful if you want to do them, but there are so many avenues and support systems and things there for you, um, yeah. which just, you know, these things weren't there when I was going through the thick of my experience at all as well. And that's why I've really focused on the support group because I just wanted a friend to talk to that understood it. Um, But that's the level that I wanted, but everybody does want their own um, Mm. or or something different. And I think that's exactly what you've said before about um, there being our voices as advocates and as people with lived experience and being survivors ourselves talking about what it is and what it looks like so that people don't feel so isolated and alone. Yeah, absolutely. And my journey through speaking out to one person first, of course, and then continuing to speak to more and more people, I found that that was a very useful journey for me because it was like, actually what I learned was the every time I spoke about it, nobody's ever responding like, oh, you should everybody's responding with deep sadness, wishing that it it never happened. And they admire you for saying something. They admire you for accepting that it happened. And that is like, people uh, understand how, how much of a crazy, horrific thing this is that you went through. So really, yeah, I think there's some strength that must be taken from it. Otherwise, we're going to just keep spiraling this whole subject, it's going to get out of control. Absolutely. 
Um, so you did say that like you, you had gone through all of your schooling and you were like killing it in your career. And then, you know, 25 to 27, this had started to really consume you and like a sadness. So what was that like? Did you, by that point, had you not spoken out about it still? And what was that so like? So I hadn't. That? And I thought that what I could do was um, deal with this myself. I thought I could just keep pushing these memories away. But I, I found after two years that it just wasn't the case. And I kept sitting down with my friends for drinks. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to tell them. Like, this is the perfect moment. I'm going to tell them. And I'd just retract because it was just way too intense feeling. And then I'd get in another situation. It was me with one other friend. And I'd be like, now would be just so perfect. I'm just going to tell them. I'm just going to tell them. I, I went on that for a little while and then I finally did it and when I did it the reaction that I got surprised me you know because I woke up the next morning I was like oh my god that felt so good and was that just to a friend of yours over beers or something yes yeah absolutely and he was actually we were friends when it was going on okay so so lifelong friend friend. Yeah. yeah lifelong friend yeah yeah and you know he he responded with confusion pure rage anger sadness every single emotion on the spectrum yeah right um and you know i just felt so i felt like what real confident the next day i was like wow i did it that's crazy yeah you know and i was like wow we we've sorted it it's done I spent like the next six months or a year and the feelings weren't there anymore. The sadness, the discomfort, they're gone. I was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. But then they were back. Yeah. But then I knew what got them to go away and that was to speak. So I spoke again to a close friend and then the feelings would go away. But then every time I spoke, which was like infrequently, maybe a year between, six months between, Every time I spoke, I just got a bit more confidence about the story. And then every time I was telling a friend, I'd tell it in a, in a more confident way. It wasn't like a, I wasn't uh, shy about it anymore. It was like, oh, look, I've just got something to tell you that I've told a couple of people, um, but I haven't told you yet. Um, something real bad happened to me when I was a child, yeah. you know, and the conversation would just go on. After two years, I'd spoken to like 20 people. Yeah. And, and I was speaking, I'd spoken, then I started speaking to not just my close circle of friends, I started speaking to the parents of my childhood friends as well, right? Because they'd known me all my life. And, and it just started branching out. And that's when I started wondering to myself, I wondered two things, actually. First, I wondered, I wonder where the man that did this to me is now. Yeah. And what is he up to? That was the first thought. But the next thought was, I wonder what everyone else is going through. Everyone else that's been through this is going through. Yeah. And that led me to start searching online and I found chat rooms and I found Facebook pages and I found websites and I just couldn't believe how much this was affecting the planet. And I read, I read one message from an 80 year old woman and it read something like, she had explained that what happened to her, she had never told anybody and she listed the way she thought it had affected her life. And I was like, oh my God, I should try and do something about this. Yeah. And that was the real turning point of my life because I was working at that time as a design engineer for some very prestigious companies. My career was flying But as I started Googling more and coming to think about sharing my story publicly, thinking I should try and do something with my story, the the, um, enthusiasm about progressing my engineering career even further than it was, was starting to dwindle. And the enthusiasm about trying to get something rolling was growing. It kind of overshadowed my engineering career. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like this transition. So... I actually stopped my engineering career because I was um, doing like contracts. So I'd have like a 12 month contract on a project and that contract actually ended 
And I was like, right, okay, so I'm going to take three months off. I had good savings because I was being paid healthily in a healthy way from my career. And I was like, I am going to um, try and do something about this. I'm going to stop working periodically and see what I can do. So I found open mic nights in London. And they are, if for anybody listening that's never been to an open mic night, they are... Um, events that are free that you can go to and you and you can sign up at the door and you get five minutes on stage and you can talk about whatever you want you can read a poem you can read a poem or speak a poem of your own you can story tell or you can play an instrument or you can sing yeah and I started telling my story on the stage and of course the first time I did that was mind-blowing um but it was the same as speaking out I did it the first time got an incredible response from the audience did it again did it again did it again and then all of a sudden three months later I've done it a a handful of times maybe a hundred times and then I kicked off the social media platforms and and which kind of is the start of what I'm doing now yeah and it's incredible to think of I mean I have been to open mic nights where only people have sung. So I thought open mic nights were just for singers who played their own instruments. Um, So that's so interesting because I'm literally listening to that going, I reckon I'm going to go to an open mic night. I reckon this is something I'm going to try. Yeah, brilliant. Because you can find poetry and spoken word open mic nights. Okay. So actually some open mic nights are dedicated to spoken word, which is just a, a discussion really you know, Mm. and you can go and speak about whatever you want. And um, it's a really um, responsive audience. That's incredible. Um, And it's such a unique way to go about, um, you know, getting your story out there and speaking about it and also giving yourself, you know, that throwing yourself in deep water kind of experience for being in front of a microphone, telling your story to a crowd and not knowing what the reaction is going to be. That's a really great way to do it. Yeah. And of course, the reaction every time was, it wasn't every time, but 95% of the time was incredible. Yeah. However, because I was on this ride of trying to speak as much as possible, I went to some events where my story wasn't probably suitable. Okay. So um, there was a lot of music. There was a lot of singing. But you, I, I, I would go to the event because I was trying to speak every night. Yeah. Right. So I would try to I'd pick an event. I'd see it. It's in a pub or a bar. And I'm like, ah, but. I just need to take these opportunities right now. I'd get to the bar. Like it's a, it's a busy cocktail bar in London. Right. Yeah. And I get there and I'm like, Oh my goodness, you should just go home because this is crazy. This <laughs> yeah. is not an audience for this. Just go home. It's okay. But I'd say to myself, no, you've got two options here. You either stay and say something and build your confidence on stage and talk to any audience, doesn't matter what venue it is, or you go home. Which one's going to bring you closer to this goal of getting something running? And I'd also say to myself, okay, so so then obviously I know what the option is. And I'd say to myself, right, I'll make a promise with you. I'm saying in my own head, just do it. And if it goes really badly, just never do it again. Yeah. Right? And of course, you get on the stage, it goes really well, and then you're, you're there the following night. So yes, it was an incredible journey. I did it for a year. It, got my, it, it, it helped me tune my voice. How can I speak for five minutes and capture an audience? You know, And, and there were some, some, some nights where I'd get on the microphone and I'd be like, you know, I'd introduce it. I'm going to speak about my story of child sexual abuse, or I'm going to speak about what I think could be done to prevent child sexual abuse. And some venues, everyone's a bit like, oh, you can oh, see the reaction yeah. in people. Yeah. Because no one yeah. wants to hear this on a Thursday night in London. Yeah. But by the end of the, by the end of my five minutes, I have everybody standing up clapping. That's amazing. Because I'm trying to do it in an encouraging way. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's given me goosebumps way. now, because I think, you know, this is a part of reframing what it is, because... Even we know statistically speaking, okay, so I think it's one in four um, people, um, you know, a lot of the statistics and things are telling us one in four people will be sexually assaulted before they're 18. So the, the numbers we're never going to fully know. But if you take that 
over the hundred different venues that you did an open mic night at and quantify how many people in that room would have resonated with your story and never, ever told a single person. But for once, they've listened to this in an okay way, very quickly in a casual environment that they can, they're surrounded by people, they're in a safe place, you know what I mean? That's an incredible thing to give somebody. And I'm sure that 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 moment for somebody and multiple people will be in their mind. Do you remember that guy that came and spoke about that thing? And that might precipitate somebody, you know, into, into telling their story one day as well. I love it so much. And and that is, that is exactly the kind of thing I just try to go for all the time. You know, I'm trying to put out content and talk about this in a way that you're interested in, in a way that on a Sunday evening, you're going to be flicking down your social media pages. You're going to see a piece of my content. You'd be like, oh, I wonder what he's talking about today, right? Because if we can get interest in this subject, we're going to just subsequently naturally raise the awareness of it. It's when everything is only spoken about in the tragic and horrific ways that is also necessary at times. If it's only spoken about that, People don't want to digest that every day. No, yeah. You know? And it's how so do sometimes we get... they'll just pass back pass by that info. Yeah. And it's how do we get the people who are not survivors themselves to care? Yes. You know, we've got all of these yes. survivors, survivor advocacy groups, survivor groups. Um, and I've got all of my survivor friends and stuff on on the all of the socials who are the most supportive and wonderful people. And yeah. I love having them there and I love connecting with more survivors, but I'm interested to find ways and how I can engage somebody who is disinterested in the topic, who thinks the topic is nothing to do with them. You know, all of the people that are saying not all men and stuff like that. How do I engage somebody like that to understand where they fit into this and understand they can make a difference? And that's something, yeah, I think that what you've done there could potentially be breaking down that barrier. So it's the million dollar question that I'm always trying to solve as well right? How can we get something on Netflix that talks about this subject or a story that explains this subject or the life of a survivor that everybody's talking about? Yeah. Right. What are you watching on Netflix? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? The Queen's Gambit for me is a great example. It's the most successful TV series that Netflix has ever released. It was three episodes. It was about chess. Yeah. Right. Essentially an old school, old fashioned game, right? But it got everybody hooked. And apparently Google, um, eBay and Amazon released figures that they ran out of chessboards. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, following the, following the series. Yeah. Uh, you know, so people were invested. They got, that series got people interested in something that people just weren't interested in anymore. And yeah. when I watched it, I was like, if they can do it, then we can definitely do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I really believe it's possible. And um, some people may think that my goals of getting this subject on TV, that's a TV show that everybody's talking about, on, in massive festivals on stages in a kind of theatrical spoken word kind of performance with music in the background, big orchestra, and also some kind of theatre live performance production that could go on tour that, that everybody's talking about. Those types of, uh, are the types of goals that I've got. And I know that some people, even people that are close to me, aren't sure how that's going to be achieved, but I can see it happening. And I don't see any problem in aiming for that because as long as we hit somewhere near the aim, then we're doing well. I mean, people, people aren't actually interested in this. Um, you know, oh, what's the grooming process? Oh, wow, what's your story? Oh, my God, that's crazy. Did you ever think about this? But what about they've got questions? It just needs to be communicated in, in, in better ways. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think these are all incredible goals to have. And I, and I think that it's a really good point that you make, especially around chess. I know so many people after that, that went and bought chess boards. It was all over my Instagram feed. I was like, oh my gosh, not again. They're still going on about chess, but it is so true. And, um, you know, this is such a different topic. The, the concept of coercive control and domestic abuse is a new topic that is becoming more palatable across countries around the world. Um, and I was listening to a podcast today on that as well, actually, where they're talking about why child sexual victimization is the number one thing that we cannot talk about 
We can talk about domestic abuse. We can talk about sexual assaults of uh, of women on the nights out. We can talk about different things. But child sexual abuse is something mm. that nobody wants to touch. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to discuss it. And and, and I find it interesting. And I think we have such a due diligence to do to other two children and yeah. to the victims that are out there, the victim survivors, to work together to find a way that we can make this topic palatable and that we can get the point across about how prevalent this is within our society. It's one in four children. You know what I mean? That's that's 25% of the entire world's population and that's just what we know of. Mm. So how prevalent is the issue? Mm. And, and how important is it that we save children from the fates that so many of us had had? And how yeah. can we do that? How can we educate people on sex? How can we make sure the parents are talking about it? How can we give children the language to tell us when something bad is happening? How can we maybe rehabilitate or prevent offenders from getting into that space? How can we how can we help people? What yeah. what accountability can we give to the Catholic Church? What accountability can we give to football clubs? Um, and these institutions who continue to cover up these types of crimes and they can because we throw it and sweep it under the rug, you know, and that's, I I love that you have that passion for that. I love that you want to do that. And yeah, any way I can help you anyway, I will hundred percent. I'm dedicated to that. That is amazing. I reckon you can do it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I honestly, I honestly believe on those days where I'm like, I'm killing it. I honestly believe I can do it. And w- one thing actually may be useful for people, anybody trying to grow anything, um, on those days where I feel like, what am I doing? Go back to your day job. I just scroll down my feed to a year before and see what I was posting. And I'm like, come on, we've come so far. So on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday this week, in two days, I'm releasing my donation page, right? Which is a massive milestone for me because up until now, I haven't been working. I've been using all of my savings and I'm coming to the end of them now. So I've been paying for the filming projects, the animations, the illustrations. They are expensive, right? So um, my savings have been going down rapidly. I'm nearly out. And so I need to start bringing in some revenue to pay so that I can continue creating this content. So on Wednesday, I'm releasing a donation page and I hope to see even if it's £10, you know, it's just something that I can start paying for the films, for the animations. And then hopefully I can get this thing running itself because at the moment it's not sustainable because I want this to be able to continue. And when I see make it, when I see this project that I'm on making moves like that, they're huge moves. And then I'm like, Oh my God, it really just can be done. It really can be done. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, um, you know, you're doing so much in this space as well. Do you mind telling our listeners like what, what you're currently working on, um, so you've just talked about the donation page. What else are you working on and, and where can they find you if they want to speak to you? Yeah, brilliant. So I have got a website coming, jeremyindica.com. I've got the donation page on Wednesday. We've got films waiting to be released. They're just being edited now. And I've got more animation ideas. If you missed the animation that I released in February, please go to my YouTube channel and find that. I am on Instagram, Facebook. TikTok now and also YouTube, all under Jeremy Indica. Come and get involved. Come and see what's going on. Come and let me know how you feel about things, and just come and follow this journey because it is getting exciting. It's like a, it's like a, we're on a ride. Like just hold on tight because we're just we're. It's like we're gonna really do something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can't wait to be a part of it because I'm gonna whittle my way in there and I'm gonna be a part of your production. Uh- <laughs> Any way that I can Fantastic. help, I'm, I'm going to be Please. your Australian groupie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm really, I, I thank you so much for coming on and being a part of the podcast and telling us your story and sharing the wonderful things you're doing. I think some of these stories as well highlight so much for people that there is life after abuse. And that is something I really want people to hold on to. Um, so many people listening to this now will be in what they think is the worst day of their life. And who, who aren't able to move on. And I want you to know, and I want you to remember that, that I've been there, that we've been there and that I can tell you that for sure 
there is light at the end of the tunnel and it will get better and it does get easier. Um, and you know, I myself never ever thought I would be in a place where sharing my story was something I did every single day, Hmm. but I am (laughs) and I'm happy. So, um, it's a weird space to be in. Um, but if this discussion has brought up some issues for you, there will be links to resources in the show notes for this episode. Please don't suffer in silence and please um, make sure that you're looking after yourselves. Um, Jeremy, do you have any final um, things that you want to say? Do you have any bits of advice or anything for a survivor going through this now? No, not really. I My advice is always do what is good for you, for your well-being at the moment. If that is searching online and reading chat rooms or engaging in communities online, then please do that. If that's journaling, please do that. If that's speaking out, please do that. But just work on yourself and just make sure that you're improved that you're that you're keeping your eye on how you're feeling and um yeah just let's just let's just have more conversations in the future and let's just see where we can take this it's an exciting time absolutely um so you can um get to jeremy by um all of the things that he just listed and i'll be able to link them in the show notes of this episode as well if you want to contact me i'm at madheat underscore on instagram or at reclaim me pod on instagram as well the links to all of the um episodes of reclaim me um and the links to everything else are there um i will link everything for you my link queens (laughs) and we'll get there eventually but i'm so grateful have a wonderful night and this is reclaim me signing out This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.